Hello and welcome to another episode, a fantastic episode actually, of the Talent Waste Show. And as you know well by, uh, know by now, we're on a mission to find out if talent waste exists through research, statistics and brilliant guests each week on this very show, the Talent Waste Show. So look, mo most of you, if you're new to, uh, to, uh, to joining us, um, talent waste affects organisations across all industries. It occurs when an employee leaves an organisation prematurely due to that business not being able to retain them. And there's lots of statistics that back that situation up. The Office of uh, National Statistics uh, states that between 30 and 45% of employees leave organisations within the first year, which is quite staggering, actually, when we start to look into, into this issue. And actually, Harvard Business Review, also for a study in 2021, said that 80% of employee turnover is due to bad hiring decisions. And when you pull all of that together and then look at a cost associated with that, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, or the CIPD, actually states that bad hires cost the business in excess of £12,000 a year. So that is all adding up to huge amount of waste within our talent. So we spend so much time with our people and our talent and ultimately end up wasting it. During Series 1, we spoke to industry leaders about their experiences with talent waste and how they've navigated through some of them key issues and delivered some excellent initiatives. We've got some more fantastic guests lined up for the second series that uh, that you'll know, and today is no different. Before we got onto my de my desk, uh, my guest even, um, you can catch up on the show via Crowdcast, Spotify, um, and Apple Music on the audio platforms. Of course, you can follow us at Phoenix51 on our YouTube channel, um, and also on my LinkedIn page or the Phoenix51 uh, LinkedIn page as well. But let's get to today. I am delighted to have a guest who has had a wonderful career so far in the people space, spanning over 15 years and has worked with some monster brands. See what I did there, including <laughs> Wilfred Brooks, Mitsubishi and Accenture. But now Sharon is the chief people officer for Monster Lab, the global digital consultancy, which is HQ'd in Tokyo. Monster Lab now has 32 centers of excellence around the world powered by over 1,400 strategists, designers, and engineers. And I'm really pleased to have with us Sharon Kelly. Sharon, welcome to the Talent Way Show. How are you getting on? I'm, I'm well, thank you so much, Lee. It was a pleasure to be invited. Um, really excited about this topic. We could probably be here all day. Um, <laughs> however, I know you don't have that time and I don't have that time. However, I, I'm really, really honored to be asked. Um, Monster Lab has been through an interesting journey. So shoot, fire away. Let's talk about this. Yeah, well, let's start there, actually, Sharon. That's a, that's a really good point. So talk to us a little bit about Monster Lab, you know, because some of our viewers and listeners won't know who Monster Lab are. And actually, when, when, when we first met, I was, I was astonished, actually, of how, how, how big you guys actually are and what you, what you guys are actually doing. So tell us a little bit about Monster Lab. And then if you can, fill us in a little bit about that journey, specifically around that, that people journey that you've embarked on within Monster Lab. 
um, thank you. Yeah, I'm really happy to do this because I think it's a really interesting, it, it could be in future a very interesting case study on how a Japanese company headquartered in Tokyo uh, was able to go international. Um, yeah. I won't say global, I'll say international. Um, and there are reasons for that that we'll get into later. However, um, at the end of the day, Monster Lab was started by the CEO um, over 15 years ago as a music software business. Okay. So after the business was, was starting to falter, um, he had to pivot, Hiroki Inagawa had to pivot <clears throat> and change the business model and thereby went into mobile app development, website, switched over to the software development space, and then acquired companies outside of Japan. He started to acquire companies in Europe and in America. And as he likes to say, he took over 180, I think, flights in the first year to visit wow. 180 different you know, startups. Um, so not sure exactly how long that selection process was with each company. However, you know, part of what was on his mind was cultural fit, but also the financial health of that company. Yeah. Um, on the journey, I guess in the last six, seven years specifically, uh, the company has pivoted towards not just a mobile app company, however, but getting more into the strategic and digital transformation space. Now, that has really started to blossom in the last, I'd say, two years, especially. That's a lot of change to, to put your people through, especially from an intercultural perspective, an op model perspective, right? A business offering perspective, and also yeah. from another people lens. How does that how does that change going from a mobile app to a, a strategic digital transformation consultancy? How does that affect my own career? And to be very honest with you, I'm not sure we got that change management bit quite right. So and I'm going to I'm, I'm being very transparent, very honest. There's no point in not being honest because we don't learn when we're not able to reflect on our own change management hiccups and or where we maybe didn't communicate um, as effectively as we could have. So, so just, just to interact with you there. So, sorry, Sharon, just to interact with you there. So so on the on some of that change management, it, was that to do with bringing acquisitions into the business so so i lots of different people lots, lots of different not only lots of different people but lots of different culture environments i'm and, so and happy the, yeah the c word yeah the nice one like, i mean because culturally, nice yeah, culturally and again I don't, I don't want to just pigeonhole but we've just seen in, in in the world cup it's just been going on obviously in Qatar. trust me to bring football into everything but but actually, you see the the Japanese team, the yeah. way they are cleaning the changing rooms after they've left, cleaning the stands. The Japanese fans are cleaning the stands. Like it is very much embedded into the the Japanese culture. Certain certain key things and certain key values, and I think that's quite interesting because actually a Japanese organization going international and then bringing in maybe more Western um, uh, cultures has that been quite a challenge for. Not not only for uh, but for yourself and the CEO and Monster Lab, but but actually for the people working in the business. For, for Lee, I'm so I'm thrilled that you have brought this up because it is it's it's a huge 
issue. And I think boards and CEOs and other leaders in organizations that go on this intercultural journey, as I would term it, they they don't do well to ignore it. Yeah. It's, you know, when we ignore culture, um, get ready for get ready for some of the big shocks of your life. Um, you know, unconsciously, all of us are judgmental. For sure. I, you know, show me a person who has never been judgmental. However, it's the learning. It's the being self-aware. It's having the conversations. And sometimes they're difficult conversations about intercultural conflict. Um, this is a very difficult issue for many people to address and to address it honestly. Now, the Japanese culture, as you quite rightly say, has amazing and wonderful behaviors wrapped up into what it means to be Japanese. And also, um, you know, I lived in Japan over 25 years ago. I, went, I first went 30 years ago. Yeah. And so I'm versed in Japanese culture, mores and norms. However, when you're trying to bring people together in an intercultural environment, what is key is to have the leadership land on what that new culture will be. Yeah. So you don't impose, for example, a Japanese culture outside of Japan or have expectations that people will automatically get it and become somehow Japanese. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah, is yeah. it's it, well, it's very naive and it's yeah. and it's very unfair, really. Um, and one could say that what what would be the clever thing to do when you're trying to go global? And there's a difference between being international and being global. Yeah. If you're trying to go global, identify those values that bring everyone together. What's the common golden thread that weaves through every single culture? And what are the values that you're going to place in your new culture? So if you thought of Master yeah. Lab as its own country, what are the norms, the value systems, the behaviors that you want to inculcate and champion within that new country called Monster Lab? Yeah. This is not an easy task. And this is why I say there's a difference between being international and being global. In, in my perception, this is just yeah. my perception. Yeah, yeah. Anyone out there can disagree with me, however. <laughs> To be international means you have a footprint internationally. You have acquired companies. Those companies you might decide will stay autonomous, independent. They will maintain their own culture. They will not merge into the parent company. That's an international footprint, yes? You may, you may have an influence. Um, it depends on the variation of influence, how much you want to influence. But to be a global brand means that you've taken your brand globally. Yeah. And you will replicate your mores, your norms in those countries where you happen to be or happen to grow or put your flag in the, like going to the moon. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. so, but what I think is essential in those MA discussions, and it's happening all the time, but that the people person, someone like me or in my position or anyone absolutely raises these issues. Okay. We've got finance tick. We've got the yeah. employment. We've got the, you know, we've done all the due diligence, yada, yada. Have we talked about what kind of culture we've all signed up to be? And have we all agreed what the norms and the values will be going forward? And I'm always struck sometimes, well, 
a lot of times I'm struck by the fact that these conversations actually don't happen. Because they don't happen, yeah. They don't happen before the acquisition or the merger. And I think uh, statistically, 74% of mergers and acquisitions fail because of cultural clashes. So, you know, we do ignore culture at wow. our peril. That. that is unbelievable. Yeah. And so, oh my gosh, J Japan, I'm that in is, love with that, Japan. That is an so, unbelievable you know, chat. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty unbelievable. But you know, my experience in Japan, I wish everyone could experience Japan the way that I did. I I lived in a very small rural city. I was the only foreigner working in the city, uh, actually employed by the city, of thirty two thousand people. So I was definitely the odd one out. However, I would I would yeah. I cherish that experience because it challenged me on many levels. And it challenged my understanding of the world. You know, you can imagine an American, very individualistic society, culturally, you know, we're taught, we're raised to, you can do anything, you can be anything. I'm not quite sure that that's true. But you then go to a country that is more consensus driven, more group orientated. That's a whole different level of understanding how to be and how to be human in the world. So when yeah. we get back to, talent and putting in and and having a global company that wants to truly be global i think what is really imperative is that the leadership align and agree on those value systems now getting back to your topic of talent waste as an example people might have preconceptions when they join a company about what that culture is yeah and many times it's the marketing department working with the CEO or the leadership team. This is what we want to be. This yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And be careful because Monster Lab, for example, this is a real example. As we were growing and very young company, okay, we weren't always set up for success in terms of our people and their learning paths and their growth and development. Yeah. Um, some of the investments made in learning and development, you know, were just very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's, that's the reality with a lot of companies we're battling, you know, we're battling costs, we're battling profit where you have to be mindful of the spend. However, be honest about the journey that your organization is on. Because when you're hiring very clever people and, and you set out to hire clever people, it doesn't take long for them to realize exactly at which stage, which stage of development your company actually is. So really? being honest on that recruitment conversation and in those paths, being honest about the journey that your company is on is key because it will it will impact the journey the professional and the personal journey that your hire will be on yeah and for sure. and many times i have seen managers fudge that a bit or just basically not being very sincere about where the company is or having fear about sharing that journey with the company however you know park the fear be honest and also identify where that person is crucial to help along the journey to maturity. 
What are the talents in that person as a holistic person, not just for the role technically, but look at that person holistically and say, tell me about your past journey. How would you how would you move and groove in a, in a small startup company as opposed to, for example, an, accept, an Accenture where pretty much yeah. everything's already decided? Yeah. yeah. And you're maybe perceived to be a cog in the wheel. Can you really, can you really get in there and change things? So it is all, it all depends on where you are as an organization in that journey. And as I tell hiring managers, please be honest and transparent as much as possible where you are in your departmental journey and how that person in that role will align to the purpose of the company. And that's another thing people, mm -hmm. you know, now I want to know what the purpose of the company is that I work yeah. in. All of the employees and the people who are part of that also want to know its purpose. I, I, it's incredibly I, I, important. It's almost a hub, isn't it? I mean, look, I, it's fascinating what you're saying. There's so much to pick up on there. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 As I said, we could talk all day. <laughs> no, I know, I know, but it is brilliant. I just want to pick up on a couple of things, but, but certainly the purpose side of things, We've done a lot of work. Um, I don't know whether you're a fan or not of a guy called Simon Sinek, but start with why. And we've done a lot of work. And, you know, any viewers or listeners, if you haven't heard of him, go on to a talk and just search, search him. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and it talks about, you know, the purpose of your business, the why, why have we set up our organization? Why do we exist? And that's how you're going to get that journey of not only being more successful in onboarding new customers, for example, from a sales perspective, exactly. but actually uh, probably more prudent in the kind of in the, in the areas of finance. But most importantly, your people, people want to join your organization because they want to go on the journey with you. It's not just about making money or it's not just about, you know, um, going to work on a nine to five as Dolly Parton once sung about, you know, it is it is about it is about being part, you know, you spend most of your work life at work. So you want to enjoy it, you want to be part of that journey. And, and that's really important. And one of the other things that you, you mentioned before, and just going back to the kind of the L&D and the people side, you mentioned like a, a small spend in comparison. We had um, Danny Cairns on a couple of weeks ago, and um, he's the talent director for Nortel. And he mentioned about talent and people teams within the business, almost thinking being thought of as a cost burden or cost center and actually you could look at it as a profit center because the the investment that you put into your people into your learning development into them talent teams within is going to start to reward you over maybe a longer period of time and that's where that's where kind of technology like like our, our technology thinks if one comes in around retention actually keeping people in the business you all that, that hard work exactly and, and they leave and it's like what i mean that's how, the intellectual property it, that's the intellectual property walking out the door totally. if 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 you don't harness the talent all of the talents of your people you're you're missing out i mean there's a there's a plethora of talent just sat there in front of you but let's have the conversation for example a challenge that we had at master lab as i said not a whole lot of money to give away for investment in learning and development so one of our clever Harrys in Denmark decided that he would start Monstar University. He started small and he identified a core curriculum for his team nice. in data analytics and the rest of it. 
And so then we've, we've grown that to become a core curriculum for each department aligning with the roles in the company. And for years, I've always said, you know, being American, how much money do we spend on our, on our education? You know, when I moved to the UK, I was stunned that people in their twenties could even buy a house. We were still paying off our student loans in America. So where, where you want to, where you want to create an environment, a learning environment, a creative environment, you want your people to think I'm coming there like a university, only I'm getting paid now to learn. Isn't this fantastic? Yeah, for sure. And and actually, what, what, what's interesting, what's interesting, if I can interact with you there, what's interesting about that as well is that that you the behaviour in them people that you're that you're being rewarded by, if you like, or, or instilling is is loyalty. Is why would yes. I need to move anywhere? Like I've got, I'm being paid to learn. I'm growing all of the time. You go and do some surveys. Uh, you know, we've done, I, I spent 22 years in recruitment, right? So from a recruitment perspective, mm-hmm. looking, watching, learn, observing different trends and patterns, you know, maybe 15 years ago, you know, in a career, number one would be, I want to earn loads of money or, you know, number two, number two on the list would have been, um, you know, I want, I want stability or whatever. Now, number one on this is I want to learn. I want to find new, I want to continue to learn. I want to grow. You know, people, a lot of people have decided that, you know, it's more, sounds a bit cheesy, but it's more of a vocation than it is just about getting a job. There's still some hungry people out there for money, of course, but that becomes a byproduct if you become really good at what you're doing. So this this leads back, your point is, it leads back to that person, that purpose. We all need an inherent purpose to get out of the bed in the morning. You want to jump out of the bed in the morning and you want to remember what your purpose actually is. It's so easy to forget that when you get embroiled in the day to day and the business as usual and all of the, you know, the finance, the cost. I mean, a lot of what you've just said is woven in and it's it's true in Monster Lab. Parts of our business see investing in learning development as well why would we train people to have them just walk out the door and go get a better job again and well, it just, just it come depends back. on how you treat those people it's like are you are you absolutely leveraging all the talents that you're offering them all of the learning and development it's on us to leverage those new talents that that people our responsibility acquire. I completely it's agree. our as, responsibility as as employee employers it is our yes. responsibility to, to to build that out it, that's really interesting it goes back to the point i made right at the beginning of the show in the introduction about talent way so like cipd um states it, it it costs over so it's on average we we we're lo- using sorry the minimum term twelve thousand pounds for every hire that leaves in year one in, in our last series, we had uh, John Hollon, uh, who at the time was the Global Resourcing Director for Nationwide Building Society. And he actually said to us that for every 1% of people that leave in year one, it cost the business £100,000, yeah. which is absolutely incredible. Since then, Sharon, we've built a calculator. You can go on to, um, you know, anyone watching and listening can go onto the website and have a look at Phoenix Future One website and have a look at the calculator. But we built a calculator that basically says, if you're hiring, I don't know, as an example, Say you're hiring uh, 200 people um, in, in that in that one year, and um, you only retain 70% of them during that one that, that one year. So in other words, you're losing 30% of them mm. people. Mm. Staggeringly, that is three quarters of a million pounds. It's literally just come off the bottom line. So we're talking about 
I don't want to invest in our people. Like it, it becomes a bit of a cost as an employee employer. I'm saying, well, I'm not quite sure I want to invest in, in our people. But if we don't invest in our people and we don't retain them, they actually lose us money. Like so, so, so the, the the numbers people um, like in the businesses will be sitting there thinking, well, hang on, I need to generate more revenue. I need to get better talent. And the war on talent is not just in the UK; it's it's around. You know, the buzzword. Yeah, it's how global. do we get more people? How do we get more people? The reality is, if you spend more time and attention and, and probably some more money on retaining the ones you've got and developing the ones you've got, you're going to have a better, a healthier bottom line. You're going to have a healthier culture and core values of, with people driven towards your purpose. And ultimately, you're going to have a better business set off the back of it. And, and that's the bit that I'm, I'm staggered as organizations, people like yourself that I talk to. And, and, and we're still seeing that, that rinse and repeat pattern hire somebody, hire 200 people, lose 30 of them. Okay, that's just what we lose. That costs you three quarters of a million quid. That comes off the bottom line. We then have the conversation, oh, how do we get more money in the business? Hello, it's it's the talent waste bit that we should be fixing, right, Sharon? Yes, I, I totally agree. And it's that disconnect. You know, people, when you're hiring clever people and they're talented, they want to be recognized for that. They want to be respected for that. So when the leadership isn't congruent in its message and its values and its mm. systems, then, and that's a systemic cultural issue, right? I'm, I could yeah. talk all day about the cultural issues, but that disconnect is very apparent to your people. Just because they're not sat in the boardroom doesn't mean they don't feel when there's a disconnect or there's any kind of conflict. And that's why I say treat your people with the same respect that you would expect in terms of having a conversation. When you go silent and you try and bury the bad news or you try and change the message, or, people are clever. They want, they want to hear the honest truth. And also, not just to be the victim of the honest truth, but how are you gonna help them engage in the solution? If the corporate culture is that we have to be perfect, we're not allowed to shout out when we're not, we don't have a culture of safety, then what you're doing is you're cutting out a huge part of the talent in your own culture because those people sitting there watching things, they have ideas on how to change things, not just yeah. within their role, but within the organization. With, so that's, yeah, where, yeah. that's where your surveys come in. That's where just having a, a conversation between a team member and a line manager is, is gold dust to just share some of the some of the issues and then help them understand that they're part of the solution. Yeah. That they can be part of the solution and we want them to be part of the solution. What's interesting what's interesting hearing you talk is it, it's not just about like you've just said about the boardroom and about the you know the the you know strategic leadership or the C suite in the organization actually what's really important is it filtering down and and having the higher managers the people that are bringing new people into the business yeah. to really focus on that behaviors the the the, the values that you know the, the the purpose part not just a you know a sign on the wall to say oh actually this is what our core values are this is what we're about it's it's authentically saying this is what we're about and over over a period of time yeah. that, that will then start to naturally come out and that's why we have to so, some, sometimes you know we've we've been hiring managers right you know all of us hire hire people and viewers and listeners hire people Sometimes it's quite easy to go granular, isn't it? And go, well, I need this individual 
they're going to be really good for this particular yeah. job. But actually, what about their career? What about the wider aspect of the business? Do they fit into the, the values and cultures? It, it, it's it's massively important from a retention perspective, in my opinion, and, and, and my experiences to get that culture a bit right. You might be an ama- I might be an amazing candidate for that one role for, for you, Sharon. But if I don't believe in Monster Labs values and cultures, there's only one way that relationship's going. And that's me being um, me being fired or me leaving. Like that, that is just the reality. Yeah. And it's it's also it's also are people seeing are people seeing the, the nature of the business through the leadership as well, through actions. There are a lot of micro aggressions that can happen that just build and build and build. And then the next thing you know, someone says, right, I've had enough. But there was never the dialogue. Yeah, there was never the have, there was never the yeah, communication. Yeah, exactly. Say. Have you have you created the safe space? And people yeah. talk about that a lot. I mean, it's really interesting. I and maybe it's being American. You know, we're a bit more direct. <laughs> and <laughs> and now people are writing books about radical candor. I've been yeah. doing it and even didn't even know what it was called. It's yeah, just yeah, you know, for me, it's honestly, it's, it's like yeah. I care enough. I care enough to give you my honesty. If I'm not invested in you or this situation or the organization, I don't need to be honest, do I? No. And that's no, apathy. No. And apathy yeah. is dangerous. And if and if managers aren't recognizing apathy in their teams, that's a slippery slope. So it's also being aware of that engagement piece, you know, are we really engaged? Are we really walking our talk? You hear people say it's a cliche, but it's no, it's so true. true. Do my, do you know? Am I prepared to tell my boss or my colleagues when they're not walking their talk? That's the three sixty no. feedback piece. Whatever you want to call it, it comes it's down to honesty. It's them hard. It's them hard conversations. It look. This is absolutely fascinating. You said at the beginning that we could go on all day, and I think we could, but we are going to take a break. <laughs> Uh, right now, and when we come back after after the break, we're going to get into a little bit more um, uh, uh, solution led from, from Sharon. Some of the key challenges she's she's overcome, but also as well some fun stuff around your best hires that you've made during your career. We're back after this. Phoenix Fifty One is a powerful employee technology enabling organisations to make data driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey, from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train, and retain them. Phoenix 51, powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Okay, so we'll welcome back to the Talent Way Show. This is Series 2 of the Talent Way Show. I'm delighted to be joined by the Chief People Officer of Monster Lab, Sharon Kelly. Sharon, um, fantastic um, show so far. I wanted to get your um, your take, really, on... We've talked so much in the first half about kind of values and behaviours and the culture and the kind of L&D and the people side of things, uh, which, which is why I wanted to see if I could get some of your, your take on what a best hire looks like or what does good look like and i know that is so um it's so different in so many different organizations yeah. and so many different environments but have you got kind of a, a a best you don't have to name the individual of course but have you got like a best hire and a story behind how you 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 kind of come to hire that individual that's all that that sort of thing 
I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting question because a lot of times, you know, it, people hire people and they look great on the piece of paper and the CV. And then within a month, you're thinking, oh, dear, oh perhaps dear. this isn't. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's yeah. almost like Match.com. Right. I mean, whatever you put forward is your best foot forward in an interview. You know, we put out our best foot forward when we post the job spec or the job profile. But in the reality, it might not match up. So if you were to ask me, when I think about some of the best hires we've made, not just in Monster Lab, but in my career, hmm. I think it was back, and I'm, I'm going to harp on this, it was back to the honesty about where the organization was. Because like Match.com or people in your life, they probably weren't the best people for that time of your life. And that's how I think about hiring people where we are in the organization. If someone isn't really ready or flexible or adaptable enough to go on a journey in a growing organization, then they're probably it's probably not great for them and it's not going to be great for us. But the best hires are the ones that you've been honest about the journey you're on as an organization. And they've been honest and, and self-aware enough to know could I thrive in that? No, you know, I, I could that. survive, yeah. but could I thrive in that environment? Would I have something to offer, not just in my technical role, but in my overall who I am as a person? Can I, is there space for me to, to offer all of that and to live that in this organization? I think that's a really important way to look at every person that you hire. Yes, you hire for a role, but would that person be able to fit in that culture, in that team? And how many people have you let that person interview? I mean, for myself, I want to speak to as many people as I possibly can in a yeah. new organization that I join before I decide to join it. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a lot of it, I'm always fascinated by candidates who never ask to meet or speak with other people, not just people in their immediate team. It's but a tell, isn't it? It is a tell. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It is a tell. It's kind of like, is it, I mean, we can make some assumptions on that tell, but that tell would normally be, I just need a job. I'm not really worried about what your environment or your culture is like. I just need to take the job. So I'm not really questioning about your, you know, your purpose or the business or the culture because I don't really care because I just need a job. And that's obviously a, a, a bad sign right at the beginning. So you can just get that tell, can't you, just from somebody. Oh, got any questions for us? Oh, no, I haven't got any. Really? Okay, that's yeah, interesting. And, and people who don't write anything down, like they have no questions or they it's don't take any notes. Literally crazy. Like I have to have a pen. And, you know, we, we, yeah. we, we're a data business. You're, you're a data business, right, to, to a certain degree. Yeah, so we love data. We love data. Still got a pen. I still have to have a pen to, to jot things down, to get things in there, obviously the phone and the devices, whatever it is. But again, really important to, to make sure I'm not talking, you know, viewers and listeners, right? We're, Sharon and I are not talking about interview prep for a candidate. We're talking about from an interviewee perspective, like for, yes. from an employer perspective, what are the tells that you can see? Because that's what I was going to ask you, Sharon, is I, I completely agree with you, you know, that... The, just on a CV, you can't hire somebody. You put your best foot forward, even in, a, in, in a, an interview, um, you know, CV in an interview process. H how do you how do you find the real person? Is it through different ways of hiring? Is it through four or five different interviews? Is it for assessment? Like what, what oh, is this it? is great. No, this is a great question because I don't believe it's going to be through the interview. 
you don't really know who this person is until, you know, as in personal relationships, until you live with them. What are you doing in a toilet seat? <laughs> that doesn't work them out on a date, does on. it? I mean, if anybody wants guarantees, I just feel like get into the real world. You know, you're never going to be guaranteed that that hire will be 100%, you know, satisfactory. Why? Because it, it takes it takes all of us to make it work. It's yeah. that dynamic of all of us working together. And you don't really understand what that person's strengths or challenges will be until they're in the role. That's why I harp on a lot um, to my own team and hiring managers about that probationary period. And maybe that's the wrong word for it. Maybe it should be the honeymoon phase. You know, is this really a good match? Like you know, that. are you really getting the best out of me? Can I bring my best self to this company? You know, what can I do for the company? Is there space for me to grow here? Is there a career path? I think those things take time to really eke out. When you're in the organization, that's why that introductory period, whether it's a month or three months, I think most people know within weeks whether or yep. not that person will be successful. Because you're thrown in, sometimes you're, some people are thrown in the deep end and they love that. They can thrive there. It's a challenge. Their whole attitude, the, you know, the positivity they bring to that helps them succeed. Other people, that might just scare the bejesus out of them. They might think, whoa, I can't, I, you know, I'd rather be in a big organization that already has everything set up and then you just slot me in. And that's fine. It's not wrong or right. It's just what is the fit? And, yeah. and I think that's really, really important. So when you say what was a good hire or you've, you've hired people that you, you think at first, mm, I'm not quite sure. But once they're in the role and, and they have a different dynamic and a different relationship with everyone they're working with, some people will bring out something in you that no one else could. So it's not just about this linear example of your manager and your team member. It's your teammates it's other people in other divisions. It's it's a whole ecosystem within the organization. That's why that's why I'm I'm fascinated. That's why we started our business, Phoenix Fifty One, right? Because I'm fascinated by the behaviors and the values and the you know the competency there's because because actually if you if you think about it, like you mentioned about Match.com, like for you know earlier kind of in the personal relationship piece, and you know you know don't really get to know somebody until you're living with them and the toilet seat and the toothpaste lid or whatever it is. <laughs> we all have to find out about each other. But, but actually, from a values perspective, if you share the same values as I as I have, and I share mm -hmm. the same values as you know the next person and the next person within our team, you've probably got eighty percent of that stuff kind yes. of covered because because your core values are are similar so our beliefs are similar our values are similar and therefore obviously different roles and different responsibilities but therefore our competent our, our behaviors are probably similar so we're probably we again we've got a higher percentage chance like i say 80 percent covered that we're going to get on if we've got the right the, the same core yes. values which brings back to the point before about the organization and its purpose and its core culture and value. Because ultimately, if, and I give, I'll give you an example from where I've seen it. Now, I, I obviously, I don't know if our viewers and listeners will probably know because I bang this drum all the time, but you know, back in 2008, I won The Apprentice, right? The TV show, The Apprentice. And I beat 20,000 candidates to, to, to win the show um, and uh, to get on the show. So in 12, 12 weeks later, I ended up winning it. Now, the reason why that's important is because 
the only way that Lord Sugar and Karen um, and, um, um, and Nick and Margaret at a time or whatever could actually see whether or not I was going to be good enough to work for Lord Sugar is to watch, to see, to observe me in scenarios over that period of time, like a giant assessment centre, right? So what we what we ended up doing uh, when I set my, my first recruitment company up was to try and replicate what our clients were looking for. So if they were looking for a sales individual, let's replicate what that sales environment looks like. Let's get them in that team. Let's get them in that environment. Mm. You know, the gold standard, my, my, my business partner now at Phoenix 51, Chris Wimshurst, business psychologist, will say, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a gold standard for, for, for assessment is kind of a, a role play, a group activity, a group task, you know, an interview. So you're getting different aspects because you can't fake it, Sharon. Do you, do you know where I'm coming from? Like that quick CV with a quick um, interview and yet he or she looks good. You can fake that. You can't fake, you know, four or five different meetings I or different scenarios. Totally or, understand. Do you know what I mean? So you're getting to know them people. Is Has that been a factor in, in your career in terms of getting the right people into the business? Oh, for sure. And it's it, it, it's all about that. When you said in the in the beginning, you know, where are we spending most of our time with these people we work with? Totally. If we're not having fun and it might sound a very simple thing, but if I'm not laughing more than I'm, you know, triggered, then I need to I need to rearrange this because at the end of the day. Right. This is life. There are many things that are much more important in your world than just what your nine to five is. However, can you bring your best self? Are you, are you having a great time? Are you helping and supporting somebody else in your team along the journey with the purpose of the organization? But also, you're allowed to have fun. It's, you know, work isn't always so serious. You know, if it's always so serious, you know, what? Why do we why and you know this is where culture comes in because there are cultures that think that if you're laughing in a meeting, then you're not taking it seriously. Then you're yeah, then it's not a good thing. Yeah, or then it's not yeah. a good thing. So you need to really like don't ignore this cultural bit as well, as I say. So and how? and the assumptions that people make are not always the correct assumptions. And the the, the assumptions can can dissuade you from from absolutely promoting someone, if you've made assumptions about a person, then, you know, you need to check those assumptions. And that's why data comes into play. People, people's views and perceptions about what you're like to work with on a team. That's very important. You know, many times the metrics don't measure your yeah. collaborative nature. You know, more yeah. of the soft, people say soft skills, but to me, they're human skills. They're people they're, skills. They're massive. They're, they're cultural skills. They are the behavior, yeah. the behavior that drives your day-to-day -day, yes. um, performance. Like, it's not a performance yes. review. It's not sitting down and saying, Sharon, how have you performed? You know, I don't think you've been doing this. This is, this is about consistently talking, communicating, working with, and seeing Sharon thrive in that organization, or seeing them teams Honestly, Sham, pe people are going to think, listening and watching this, they're going to think that we've collaborated beforehand because we're, we're, <laughs> we're talking about aligned and our values and, and, and you know, we, we share literally the same views. It's it's um, it's quite awesome. But I, I am conscious of time. I, again, okay. I think we need to do another session to be fair. I do too. Um, you, you just want to create a space. Like if I could say anything to anyone, I know you've said, Sharon, what would you tell us? You know, what, what kind yeah, of advice? Yeah, that's what I was going to come on to. Perfect. 
Yes. I'm just reading your, I'm reading your questions, your potential questions. So um, anyway, well, what I would say is just that be kind. There's no reason ever really not to be kind and treat people the way that you want to be treated. And overall, if you're able to bring your best potential and reach your potential in your role, in your organization, then you stay there. If you're not, then you go. You've got to find, you've got to find where you're going to reach your potential as a person and a professional. And sometimes they are one and the same thing. So, no, you know, that's what, that's what we all want, don't we? At the end and, of the day. And, and Sharon as well, in terms of a bit of kind of observation from you or maybe a bit of advice or, or, or top tip, as it were, for, for, um, for, for some of the leaders, the leadership, you know, you, you started the, um, the show off by talking about um, 74% of uh, mergers and acquisitions fail due to people. I mean, that is a staggering stat. You know, we've got some amazing stats on talent waste, but that for me is staggering. So so what what would be the message to, you know, strategic leaders, um, you know, C-suite around uh, internationally when they're going through these for, from a people perspective? What would be your, your piece of advice to them would be? Don't uh, ignore Thank you. Thank you for, for bringing it up, Lee, because it, it's really important. Do your people and culture due diligence. Just as, just as thoughtfully as you would do your legal due diligence or your financial due diligence, if you're looking at an organization to partner with or merger with, be sure you're aligned on the values. The cultures don't have to be identical, but the values and the humanness and your purpose as an organization, you need to have the conversations first. And don't be afraid to have the conversations, but sometimes leadership will think the money's the most important thing. And then to the detriment, months down the line, they find out, well, we actually aren't on the same page. No, for sure. And, and actually, if, if, it, if, it, if we could invest now in that culture and that values piece, money down the line won't be a problem because you'd have ended up, hence uh, saying earlier, that talent waste, rinse and repeat cycle won't happen. You'd have avoided that. that, that exactly. That Exactly. So, and and your employees also watch what you're doing. And your employees also understand who you're merging with or who you're acquiring. And they want to understand the narrative. They want to know the why. So, you know, as to your point, don't be afraid to have the conversation about the why. It's really, it's, it's actually really important. Shan, you've been absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, time has beaten us today. Um, but uh, if, if, if you would, I'd love to have you back on late, later on in the in the series uh, to talk uh, more specifically around how we can kind of integrate not not necessarily two different organisations or, or or more mergers and acquisitions, but ultimately that that behaviour, that value, that cultural piece. We can do a bit more of a deep dive in it. But absolutely, just before I let you go, is there any top tips that you got for twenty twenty three for for some of the other leaders out there as well? Would you say? Is there anything that's kind of you can see coming over the horizon that we're going to have to tackle yeah. in that kind of people space next year? Exactly. Um, well, some of the some of the top five I know, and I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to look at my Gartner survey and study, and they say the top five priorities for HR leaders. Um, and you know, HR. I wish we could change that up. I've always thought of it as human remains. Um, I met a lot of people in HR who 
don't really like people. And I always wonder why they're in HR. <laughs> However, that's why, that's why I call it people and culture because it is about the people and it is about the culture. Amazing. So some of the top priorities will be leader and manager effectiveness. This is right out of Gartner. Organizational design and change management. There's a lot of change fatigue going on. Yeah. Employee experience, recruiting, and the future of work. So all of those, all of those interesting areas will be on the radar, especially when when organizations like Monster Lab are competing for talent. So a lot is going to come down to the employee experience and the culture, all the things that we talked about today. So I, Lee, thank I, you so much. It no, was so wonderful. No, thank you. And, and I think, you know, to, to, to end there is perfect. And I think what we'll do in the new year, we'll pick up maybe on some of them other topics when we have you back on the Talent Way show. Uh, but for I now, mean, you have been brilliant. This is Sharon Kelly. And you can catch us on the Talent Way show, like I said before, on Crowdcast or Spotify and on YouTube as well. It's not a Talent Way show YouTube channel. It's the Phoenix 51, a sponsor. It's at Phoenix 51 on YouTube. You can check out my LinkedIn page as well if you don't know my name by now. I don't know where you've been. It is, of course, Lee McQueen. And we have been the Talent Way show with Sharon Kelly. Have a, uh, have a fantastic rest of the week.